Hello friends and welcome to Always Ready. I am your host Jared Links and in this episode today we're going to be diving into the doctrine of humanity. We're going to be talking about what does it mean for us as human beings to be made in the image of God? What 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 impact does our does that have for our daily lives? I agree with many theologians, such as Dr. Owen Strand, who assert that because humanity has rejected God, we lack clarity as to who we actually are. For example, instead of viewing ourselves as creatures made in his image, many individuals in our society and in our culture today believe that we are simply evolved pond scum or evolved bacteria, so to speak, and uh, they expect humanity to have a very different moral standard than we as Christians do in that worldview. You also have those who believe that men can become women and women can become men. And in all of these instances, what we see is a fundamental denial of humanity as created by God and as defined by God in his word. And the challenge for us as Christians today is that with such ideas floating around, we must be ready to not only show the inconsistencies within those viewpoints, but also give a robust understanding, a biblical understanding of humanity by being able to go to God's word and to present exactly what God made us to be as his creatures. And so I want us today to go to Genesis chapter 1, and we'll also dive into a little bit of Genesis chapter 2 at a couple of different points for cross-referencing purposes. And I want us to see what the scripture says about humanity and about how God created us. We'll go through five points together in this last podcast episode of our Clarified Doctrines of the Church series. So Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them and said, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. The very first point that I want to bring up, and it's a basic point, but it is an important point, is that humanity is created. That God, as we see in this passage, he is actually the one who makes mankind in his image. He makes male and female in his image. It might sound like a simple point. It might sound like something that we can simply gloss over. But it is a pivotal reality. It is the starting point for understanding who we as human beings are. Fundamentally, we are God's creatures. And as a sub-point here, because God is the one who created us, he is the one who gets to set the rules. 
that he is the one who made us, and as such, we exist for his glory. Uh, This is in great contrast to our culture today under the impression that humanity is to be worshipped as God. Uh, I get shocked at some of these commercials that I see on TV now. That's what we do here on this podcast is we uh, exegete the theological content of television commercials, but I get shocked at them and how they are literally encouraging people to worship uh, themselves. Perhaps you've seen these as well, but the culture is bowing at the feet of humanity, and as such, they are worshiping the image that they see in the mirror. Romans 1, 24 through 25, it describes such people, and it says, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Worshiping the Creator instead of the creature, that is certainly what we see all around us today in this culture. Because that is what humanity is left with if they will not serve the true and the living God. Human opinion is ultimately seen under such a system as the ultimate determining factor for what is true and what is false, for what is good and what is evil. The opinion of an expert is the end game and the supreme authority for deciding if an idea is a good one or if it is a bad one. However, we as Christians, we go to a different source, and that is God. Uh, we see here in Genesis 1.26 that God says, let us make man. It was God's idea to create. It was purely an act of his will. And this means that we come to God's revealed word, the 66 books of inspired scripture for everything, because he has called us how, he has told us how to live. And I love how Dr. Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis points out that there are only two religions. The one, Christianity, based on God's word, and everything else based upon the word of man. Uh, Those are the only two starting points. And as such, we must bow before the wisdom of Almighty God, and we must reject the folly of man. Why? Because God has created us, and it is our calling to serve him. The fact that we are his creatures also means that you and I are not some sort of a cosmic accident. It means that the life of every single human being has value because God himself has given that individual life and he sustains their lives. And so whenever you and I are going through life, we have a purpose, the glory of God. It is not that we live for our sinful pleasure is the ultimate purpose. We live for the praise of our creator. That is because he has made us. He is the potter and we are the clay. We cannot reverse that reality. You could argue that the most important verse in the Bible is Genesis 1.1 that says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, This is a point that we as the church need to be clear on and we need to uphold and we need to live according to. This basic concept of God being the creator, it sets the stage and it sets the role for us as human beings. Point number two that we see here in Genesis chapter one is that humanity is made in God's image. The first sentence of verse 26 actually makes this abundantly clear. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Uh, We are the special creation of God. We are the only creatures, us as human beings, we are the only creatures made in his image. 
And I want you to, to jump over to Genesis chapter 2, if you're following along in your Bible. Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 through 8, for a little bit more information here. That passage says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. There is a specialness to the creation of humanity here and that we are the only ones whom God actually breathes life into. And so we, now we, we must turn to the question, what does it actually mean for us to be made in God's image? Well, if you'll notice in Genesis 1.26, there is a close connection between image and likeness. Uh, essentially, to be made in God's image means that we, in a certain way, we are called to imitate him. Now, don't misunderstand me here. We, we are sinful, and God is not. We do not have infinite knowledge. We are very finite. We are very limited in our understandings, whereas he is not. He is perfect. He has perfect understanding, perfect knowledge. However, we as human beings, we are called to pattern ourselves after God. We are to be his image bearers. We are called to conduct ourselves according to his standard. We have the capacity to love. We have the capacity to think reasonable and to take dominion of the earth. These are all part of what it means for us to go out as God's image bearers. You know, I have a, I have a dog, and I have yet to see her possess the ability to take dominion of anything other than the recliner for a good nap. We see these distinctions between humanity and the rest of creation that we are all aware of. Uh, Dr. Owen Strand he puts it this way in his book, Reenchanting Humanity. He says, The image, then, is not fundamentally a trait or attribute. Whether humanity is made in the image of God, to see humanity is to see the likeness of God. The human race is a living testimony to its creator. The lordly nature of the human race in all the creation owes to the race's God-revealing status. Man's splendor is his likeness to God. Now, once again, Dr. Strand here is obviously not saying that humans are not fallen, but that we, even though we are fallen, we display the glory of God in different ways. He is saying that the reality we are made in the image of God should lead to certain functions. It should lead us to strive to work to bring God glory, to have a desire to represent him well on this earth. Uh, the husband going out to earn a living for his family, to provide for his wife, to provide for his kids, to go out and to work hard and creatively at his vocation. That uh, gives a small picture, a small humble picture of the working nature of God. We work because he did, and we are called to represent him in that. Uh, so humanity made in God's image means that we are given the special place as his representatives. Are we still made in God's image after the fall? Well, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, after the flood, God says this to Noah and his sons. He says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Uh, that is, after the fall, talking about humanity. Even after the flood, talking about humanity being made in God's image. And it lists that fact as the reason for capital punishment for those committing murder. Uh, James chapter 3, verse 9, it also makes an interesting comment. He is talking about the necessity for us to tame our tongues, to keep them under control. And he says, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So notice that concept of likeness, just as we saw back in Genesis chapter 1. 
that is another verse testifying to the fact that the image, it, it remains even after the fall. And so there is really no reason to believe that we as human beings are not made in the image of God, even after the fall of Adam and Eve. And so what are some implications of this fact that we are made in God's image? Well, first of all, since our call as human beings is to represent God, we should seek to be faithful towards that objective. None of us will do it perfectly, but our calling is to live in such a way that we are faithful representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who is the perfect image of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. It actually makes this abundantly clear. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Uh, notice that last phrase where, where Paul just says, Christ is the image of God. Uh, where we, as fallen human beings, would go into sin, where we would sin in many ways and not rightly follow God, Christ himself never fails, and he is always completely righteous. Uh, That is why we need redemption in Christ, and that is why we also need to study the Lord Jesus Christ, so that as we study him, we may imitate him, and we may grow in sanctification. Uh, That is the point 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 discusses. It says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The idea here is that the more that you and I know Jesus, the better we will live more, we will live faithfully for him, the more that we will be transformed by the power of his Spirit for his glory. And so in order to be more holy as those living as God's representatives, as those made in his image, We should seek to know God in his word, to specifically study the Lord Jesus Christ. Another impact here of being made in God's image is the value, the inherent worth of every single human life. Humanity does not all of a sudden grow the image of God at eight weeks old or at 80 years old, nor do we lose it at a certain age or point. And so life from the womb to the finality of natural death, is inherently valuable and worthy and worth before God. Uh, That is why we as Christians are passionately against abortion, because it is murder. It is why we are against euthanasia, because it is murder. And it is also why we seek to treat, uh, treat others with dignity and with respect, because they are made in the image of God. Even if you disagree with someone on various subjects, like, yes, hold firm to the truth, but still, Treat them in such a way as respects the fact that they are made in God's image. All right, let's move on to point number three here. Humanity is called to take dominion. Notice the end of verse 26. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This passage says, we as humanity, we actually are the ones given dominion over the rest of creation. Uh, The idea is that we are the ruler over everything else because God has actually given us that special place. And that means that we have a stewardship that we have to fulfill here. Uh, that if you look down at verse 
28, you will also see that God continues this train of thought by telling the man and the woman to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth and to subdue it and to take dominion of it. It is the concept of going out and taking what God has given to us and making it more productive. That, that is what it means to take dominion. You learn how to take the creation of God and you learn how to use it to cut down the travel time, for example, by riding on a horse from one place to another instead of simply walking. And then humanity figured out they could make this wonderful invention called a wagon and they could it had wheels on it and they could put them behind horses to carry various objects. Then we eventually figured out how to make all these other products like trucks and cars and airplanes and ships and, tra- and so much more. Uh, you see the concept of dominion being played out by the advancement of using the resources that God has given to us and being a good steward of them. We are told today by some, however, that our, that our planet would be better off without our activity. Uh, for example, Todd May, you can Google this and find it pretty easily, but Todd May, a professor of philosophy at Clemson University, wrote an opinion piece for the New York Times. And in that article, he actually argues that the extinction of the human race would not be such a bad thing. Yes, the earth apparently would be better off without us, according to his perspective. And that is the thrust of the radical environmentalist movement. That while we should say that we as human beings are responsible to be good stewards, to be those who would take dominion well before the sight of God, we must say and we must insist on the fact that the creation is more productive because of us, not less. Uh, God certainly does say and actually goes so far as to say that he loves the animals. And an example of this is found in Jonah 4.11 where the text says, And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? And so, did you catch that? We see God's love for cattle on this verse, which would lead us to the conclusion that we should be uh, good stewards. Okay, so you don't go out and horrifically treat an animal. You treat it with a certain dignity, and you know that we can eat it because of God's command to that effect in Genesis 9 after the flood. And so all of this leads us to the excellent theological conclusion that it is completely permissible for us to eat and to enjoy a good juicy ribeye. In fact, you should do so. Just make so that you do make sure that you do so by grilling it to perfection and enjoying every bite to the glory of God. It is a fundamental aspect of how God made us to go out and to take dominion and to exercise authority uh, as his image bearers, to plant a garden and then to enjoy its produce, to have a family, to raise the children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, to build an occupation where we would use our skills that God has given to us for his glory and for the benefit of others, to take the basic aspects of the creation that God has given to us and to harness them for the praise of his name. These are very basic aspects as to what it means for us to fulfill our responsibilities as humanity. We take dominion essentially by preaching the gospel, by teaching the word of God and bringing it to bear in every single aspect of life. 
really the great commission given to us by Christ is closely related here. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so Christ here is telling his disciples that they must go out amongst all of the nations, all of the peoples, and they must teach everything he has commanded, a very similar concept to what we saw in Genesis regarding humanity's charge given by God to go out among all of the earth and to take dominion for the sake of his name. In Genesis 1.28, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We see again a call to go out amongst to the ends of the earth. Humanity is the crowning glory of God's creation, blessed by him to go out and to fill the earth and to subdue it. We are given supremacy by God in that way, and we are called to use that for his glory. It is for our use and to the praise of our creator. We seek to cultivate the earth. We seek to develop it. Humanity is not at the bottom of the pecking order of creation. Uh, Dogs do not come above human beings, nor do cats, nor do anything else. God has given us that top role, and we must fulfill it well. Certainly, we fall into sin, even as God's chosen image bearers. We have despised his ways. However, God has great mercy upon us in the Lord Jesus Christ and saves us through faith in his name and allows us to partake in his ministry of reconciliation by going out and by preaching his word and proclaiming his gospel as the church. Now, I want to move on to point number four here. Humanity is created in two distinct genders. Read verse 27 with me. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now, undoubtedly, as many of you, I'm sure, are well aware, this verse is absolutely paramount for us to get our heads wrapped around with the rise of the LGBTQ plus movement. And not just that movement, but I would also contend all of the wish-washy evangelicals who constantly flip-flop on this issue to parrot the cries of the culture. Uh, We could say much, of course, about the roles of men and women, but what I want to lock in on here today is the fact that there is a distinction between male and female as these two genders created by God. Uh, Not only is it created by God, this this gender distinction of male and female, but it is actually deemed to be very good because later on down in chapter 1, in verse 31, you see that God calls everything he has made very good. And so not only did God create male and female, it is actually a good thing that God created male and female. Uh, Jesus spoke of this truth in Mark chapter 10, verse 6, when teaching on divorce. He says, but from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. And so Jesus here speaks to the reality. There are two genders created by God. There is a distinction between them, men and women, male and female. 
Now, as I said a, a second ago, this is something that is very controversial in our culture today. That if you dare to raise the concept that there being a distinction between men and women, you are immediately dismissed in many circles today. I don't just mean secular, cultural, secular circles. Uh, I mean evangelical, professing evangelical circles. If you believe that only men should be pastors, that only they should preach and hold a position of an elder based upon the clear and explicit teaching of 1 Timothy 2.12, then you are seeing as hell, you're heralded as someone who holds to some sort of an outdated teaching limited to a cultural perspective. 1 Timothy 2.12, it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, whether she is to remain quiet. Now, many many individuals, some individuals, would take this text and say that it is limited merely by its culture. However, what does Paul cite immediately after it in verse 13? Well, look at verses 13 through 14 here. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So Paul here cites the creation account and the account of the fall. So this rule here regarding men holding the position of elders, it is impossible to say that it is limited by a cultural perspective because Paul grounds it in creation. Is Paul saying somehow that women are spiritually less significant than God, to God than men? No, not at all. Is he saying that somehow men are possessing a higher amount of God's image than women? No. He is saying this distinction in roles is grounded in the creation account. And men and women must live out the role that God has given to them for his glory. So what is really happening in this text, whenever someone says that this passage, this teaching, is limited by its cultural perspective, what they are doing is they're elevating their perspective above the clear teaching of Scripture. Uh, that is really what is going on here. They don't understand that God created men and women equally made in His image, but with different roles. They don't understand that fact. But it goes back to the creation account itself. Uh, what about the transgender movement? Do you ever find your head spinning because of that movement? Well, I do. And, and Carl Truman, he wrote a very intriguing book called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Many of you may have heard of it. I was listening to him give an interview on this subject uh, at one point, and he made a, a very interesting observation that if someone would have gone to a doctor 50 years ago, and if they would have said that I'm a woman trapped in a man's body, that physician would have said that, their mind was what was the problem. They would have tried to get the individual some sort of mental help to deal with that particular issue. But today, if you take that same scenario, and if that person goes to the doctor, and if they say, I am a woman trapped in a man's body, the physician will say that it is your body that needs to change to come into alignment with how you feel in your mind. Because how you feel in your mind trumps the biological reality of your body according to the culture. Feelings are seen as the ultimate determination of truth. If you feel you are a woman, then you must be a woman, even if you have the body of a man, according to our society. That is a fundamental denial of biblical reality. 
That is a fundamental denial of biological reality. Truth be told, it is a fundamental denial of reality, period. And it stems from a failure to understand God as the creator. Because God, the creator, he determines what his creation is going to be, and he made you the way that you are, male or female. And you should embrace that fact. You should find joy in living out the design that God has made you. If you're a woman, then you should seek to be a biblical woman for the sake of God's glory. If you're a man, you should seek to be a biblical man for the sake of God's glory. The creation account has immense application for us, even 6,000 years roughly after the event. Because God has made us male and female, we as humanity should seek to be obedient in that way and not buy into the lie of the culture uh, regarding the idea that there are 300 genders or that we can change our gender. Gender is not alterable. It cannot change. When we deal with people who have bought into this transgender idea, we should call them to repentance and faith in Christ. We should urge them to live in God's design for them. It would be wrong for us to encourage or to coddle them in their sin. In their sin, and in fact, it would be unloving of us to do so. And so we speak the truth to them as fellow image bearers of God, and we call them to repent of their sin and to be obedient to Christ. Now let's move on to our final point here. In this episode, humanity is called to obedience before God. Verses 29 through 31 here in chapter 1 to wrap this up. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth. Everything that has the breath of life I have given every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now we see God commanding humanity as to what they can and they cannot eat. And this is where we're going to run over to Genesis chapter 2 real quick to get a little bit more information here. Verses 15 through 17 of that chapter, they say, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So God places a prohibition as to what humanity can and cannot do here in this passage. Uh, God giving commands to humanity was not something that just happened after the fall, happened before the fall. This shows the obedient and the submissive nature that we are called to have towards our Creator. Of course, we know that humanity fell. We know that we live in a fallen world. Uh, We don't just have one command now. We have the entire Bible to read and to know the will of God. And so we must be obedient. And that really takes us to the heart of what we have seen over this entire episode series dealing with clarified doctrines, that God's revelation to us, the scripture, it is sufficient for us to live pleasing before him. Uh, This shows the obedient, the submissive nature that we are called to have towards our creator. Uh, Of course, we all know that humanity fell. We know that we live in a fallen world. We don't just have one command now. We have the entirety of the Bible to know the will of God and to obey it. That really takes us to the heart of what we have seen over this entire series. And it is that the scripture is the sufficient revelation given to us by God that we may live pleasing 
before him. We saw the Lordship of Christ, the truth that he is the Lord over all, and therefore we must honor him in everything. We saw the unchangeable nature of God and why it's so foundational for us to be able to know him, to trust him in his promises, that doctrine is. We examine the doctrine of suffering. And the God at many points calls us to walk through difficult situations, and we must do so faithfully. And that all brings us to this last point, which is that humanity is called to submit to God, which might sound basic, but it's really not. That submission to God in all of life is the command of the believer. It is the basic reality of discipleship. It is the fundamental aspect of what it means to be a Christ follower. None of us will be perfect in this. That's why we need salvation in Christ. But we must seek to grow. We must seek to be sanctified. We should strive to be wholly devoted to God every single day as his creation, as those who, as believers, have been redeemed by him. Well, thank you so much for joining in today with the Always Ready podcast. It is good to be with you for another episode. Be sure and check out thechristianmanifesto.org where you can find all kinds of articles regarding politics, theology, apologetics, and all kinds of other issues there. I hope that you have a blessed rest of your day. And remember to study the scripture that you may be always ready to give a defense for the hope that lies within you. God bless.